0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews. If you don't have one, you can grab a Bible in front of you in the chair. And uh, if if that's something that's new to you, you can take that with you as well, that Bible. And uh, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. This morning we're going to look at faithfulness. And this idea of faithfulness and what it means to be faithful and what it looked like for Moses and for Jesus. And then hopefully, Lord willing, for us, what that looks like for us to be faithful to our God. And so if you would read with me and follow along in verse 1 through 6, we're going to read the whole of the passage I'm going over this morning. And we'll see what the Lord has for us as we consider His Word. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in in our hope. We see therefore coming on the heels of the passage before us. If you look back in your Bible and read the context, you see that title, the founder of our salvation. And Jeff did a wonderful job of explaining chapter two to us in the past few weeks and so, Chapter 3, at the beginning, it seems to come at least as a conclusion to what has already been said to the believers, but I think as we read uh, in the following verses of 2 through 6, we also get some context to this, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, his faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? Who do you think of when you think of that word faithful? Is there a person that comes to mind besides Jesus Christ who is faithful? What does that mean to be loyal, right? Someone who says something and then does what they say they're going to do. Someone who keeps their promises, someone who's reliable, who's steadfast. So who is that person in Ontario? Before we moved here, there was a couple that we were going to be celebrating 70 years of marriage with, and that is a incredible accomplishment, 70 years of marriage, twice as much as I've been alive, hard to imagine faithfulness though and a great picture of faithfulness marriage can be one so I think this passage breaks down fairly helpful for us and now we're gonna look today at the faithfulness of Moses first and then we're gonna look to Jesus Christ the faithfulness of Jesus and then I think we're gonna consider take some time to consider what it looks like for a Christ follower to be faithful considering Moses and Jesus first the book of Deuteronomy then with the faithfulness of Moses closes in Deuteronomy 34 with this magnificent epitaph of Moses. Let me read it for you. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. To a Jew, Moses is a great man, probably the greatest man other than Jesus for us to live and walk on this earth, the greatest prophet, the one who communed with God face to face, who God spoke to countless times and countless times in the Old Testament. We see this word faithfulness tied to Moses as you read through your Bible reading. If you're going to get through the Pentateuch in the beginning of these months, look for those words, the faithfulness of Moses and how he was faithful to what God had called him to do. He was divinely chosen by God and he was protected by God to do God's will. Just think of his birth story and how he was found in the bull rushes by Pharaoh's uh, wife and he was rescued, right? And then he was raised and he was nursed by his mother for, because there was a death sentence for him and so she was able to nurse him all in God's providence and he was raised up. And then he was sent out of Egypt. He fleed Egypt and God came and spoke to him in a burning bush and called him from that point and sent him back into Egypt and said, you're going to deliver my people. And you know what Moses said, right? How am I going to do that? I don't, he didn't think he'd have the words to speak and God said he would use him and use Aaron to do that as well. Constantly through Moses' life, you see miracles, you see the plagues, the plague of Frogs, the plague of gnats and flies, how he turned the Nile River into blood. These incredible miracles surround the life of Moses as he was God's servant. And then he takes Israel out and parts the Red Sea. And they walk through on dry land. And then what happens in the wilderness? God provides for them manna out of the sky, water out of a rock. These incredible miracles that God did and performed through Moses, his servant. Moses was Israel's greatest prophet and we just read in Leviticus in the past year and if we were to go back and consider that how many times did we read and Mo- and the Lord spoke to Moses and the Lord spoke to Moses and God revealed himself to Moses and he spoke to Moses and through him he spoke to the nation of Israel so to a Jew Moses was important the most important figure in their faith He was a great man appointed by god called by god and sent by god and so there's just a few points we want to make about moses i want us to see from the text this morning the first one being that he is a mediator the mediator of a covenant the old covenant in verse 2 we see that he was called who was faithful to him who appointed him just as moses was faithful to the one who called him god called moses to be a mediator of a covenant in the old testament the old covenant was that the Israelites were to obey God and keep His law. And in return, God would protect them and He would bless them. And God established that the way to atone for sin in the Old Covenant was a sacrifice of blood, was the shedding of blood. That was the Old Covenant. And Moses was the mediator. But the Old Covenant was never intended to save us. In 2 Corinthians it says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, the old covenant, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The new covenant that Jesus introduced at the Last Supper was this covenant of life, of the Spirit coming and giving life. And one purpose of the old covenant then was to make it absolutely clear that no man is righteous. No one is righteous before God. Not one. No man can save themselves. And so Moses served as a mediator, he served as a high priest without the function or title of high priest. Aaron, that was reserved for Aaron and his sons. But a call to mind Exodus 32, the, the golden calf. If we remember that story, we remember how Moses went up on the mountain. And Aaron stayed back with the Israelites and they decided they wanted to make this idol to worship. And so they made a golden calf, right? And God says to Moses, when he's on the mountain, go back down to the people because they're sinning. They're in this idolatry of this golden calf. And Moses gets down there. And what does God say in Exodus 32? In burning with anger, he's ready to consume his people, the nation of Israel. God is ready to do that. And Moses intercedes for his people, for God's people. And he pleads with God to have grace. And mercy and in Exodus chapter 17 the victory of the Israelites over the Amalekites when Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses and when their arms were held up when Moses arms were held up there the Israelites were victorious over the Amalekites and when they weren't um, then they were they were losing and we remember that story again the faithfulness of Moses serving as a mediator between God and his people the nation of Israel so Moses was a high priest without the name without the title He was a mediator. But the second thing is that Moses served in God's house as a servant. This word servant that we read in verse 5 of Moses, when it says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, that word servant denotes an honored servant who is above the slaves, but not as great as the one who has called him. He's still a servant, but he's not a slave. Moses was very much God's servant, one of the greatest servants of God that has ever lived. Numbers 12, verse six and eight says this, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why were you not afraid to speak against this great servant of God? Moses was second only to Adam in his intimacy with God. His face shone when he was in the presence of God and came back to the nation of Israel. And Moses served in God's house physically over God's people. But not in the temple, but he physically ruled as a servant of God's house and of God's people. He ruled, he prophesied, and he led God's people in the ways and the things that God had commanded. And so God's house was God's people. The nation of Israel was God's house. When we read in these verses of God's house, we're reading of God's people. And Moses was a servant therein. Not as not elevated to the status of God, but a servant nonetheless and he was required still we know that he was a servant because he was required still to make atonement for his sin. The third thing we see then is that Moses ministry in verse 5 it says to testify to the things that were to be spoken later Moses ministry was a foreshadow a foreshadow of somebody greater that was coming. The ultimate purpose of the whole Old Covenant and the Old Testament was to point people to Christ. Read Galatians 3 and it tells us that. The point of it all was to point people to Christ. Everything that Moses did was to point to Jesus Christ. The entire point of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system and everything else was to point to Jesus Christ. It was to show that there was somebody coming. That we might look to Jesus and to the coming of Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? I came... Not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so the whole old covenant was fulfilled in Christ, in his life, in his fulfillment of prophecy. But the Old Testament without the new is incomplete. And so Jesus fulfilled what Moses came to do. And what does he say, Jesus say in John five of the work that Moses did? For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me the first five books of our Bible. Moses wrote those, and those were wrote of Jesus Christ. Those were to speak of Jesus Christ. And we have to keep that in mind when we read Hebrews, because when we read Hebrews, the author is trying to plea and talk with these believers, these Jewish believers, that are tempted to go back to Judaism and to forsake what they have found in Christianity and to go back to Judaism. And so we consider what Moses or Jesus said of Moses. Moses' ministry existed to testify of the things that were to come, the sacrificial system, the law, the priesthood, all of it. And so it was written to Jews, Jews who had an eye on maybe going back and being unfaithful, so to speak, in considering our word, unfaithful to what Jesus has done and came and said he had done. So we want to consider then the faithfulness of Jesus as we've looked to Moses, and the author's argument is, look at Moses, look at his faithfulness. Now Jesus, his faithfulness is greater than that. We've been talking about Jesus' superiority in all of Hebrews so far up to this point, and another point to be made for them is that Moses, your great prophet, was not as faithful as Jesus Christ was to his God and his Father and his calling. Hebrews 3 and verse 3, read with me. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. The faithfulness that we've seen of Moses up to this point is not as worthy of as much glory as the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so, what does our passage say about the faithfulness of Jesus Christ this morning? I think in verse 1 we see that Jesus is an apostle, he's the apostle. This is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus is called an apostle. An apostle is somebody who is sent out. One who is sent out. And Jesus is the greatest apostle. The greatest one to ever be called and sent out by God. Greater than Moses, as we consider the works that Jesus has done shortly, we will see that. And Jesus repeatedly says in the Gospel of John, what does he say? That he was sent by the Father. He was sent by the Father. He was an apostle. He was the one sent out to come and live on earth and to be one of us to be human just as we are and so his apostleship Jesus apostleship sets up the foundation for the 12 disciples as they come and later as God calls out Christians and believers to follow him and to be and to serve as ambassadors Jesus is the foundation his apostleship is the foundation of that and the mission that Jesus came to accomplish through his perfect life and sacrifice and his resurrection all of those things are a guaranteed victory when God sends out His Apostle, Jesus Christ. Mission accomplished. So Jesus is the great Apostle, the one who was sent out. And then in verse 1, we see He is the great High Priest. We consider Jesus as the great High Priest. We've sung about it this morning. He is our great High Priest. And Jeff did a good job of sharing that in the past few weeks, how Jesus is understanding of us. Specifically last week, because He, had, he has come and lived, lived the perfect life, and was tempted as we were and so he can sympathize with us. He can be our great high priest. He's worthy of that because he was 100% God and 100% man. And Jesus is the one person through whom man comes to God and God to man. He was tempted in every way and without sin. And Jesus, unlike Moses the great prophet, Jesus did not have to make sacrifice for his sin. Because he was perfect. And so what he came to do as apostle and as high priest, as the author of Hebrews says, it's greater. It's greater than Moses. He was greater than the work that Moses had come to do. And if you, you know, we can't completely comprehend all of that was done by Moses. Certainly a Jew would understand that a little bit better and have a bit more context to that. But to really grasp and understand who Moses was and how great he was and then to have Jesus and the Hebrew authors come and say Jesus was better than that is something to a jewish believer and the third thing that we see about the faithfulness of jesus is that he is the builder of god's house he's not a servant in god's house he's the builder of god's house and as the builder the argument goes as the builder of his house of god's house he deserves more glory than the servant who serves in that house there's a subdivision in kitchener waterloo where we around where we came from and i took bailey through one time when uh she first moved to ontario because i was excited about this subdivision because when i was in high school i worked as an intern for or i did a co-op for my uncle and he worked in houses and did construction and he worked in this place called hidden valley which is where all the you know hockey players have their homes if they're from that area or all the rich people are from rich people we say and those homes when I was there were, you know, a million or two million, maybe something like that. And you drive through there and you would see these incredible houses and they would, they would just be magnificent works. And you would say, you know, it, would it be nice to live in there? I don't know. What would it look like inside there? I don't know, but I can only imagine. And I had a chance to walk through one of them as we were doing some work. And so I was excited to take Bailey through that and just show her the million dollar homes that are there and how, and how incredible they are and how we're never going to afford that. So, you know, I think it, was, it wasn't to shatter her dreams or anything, but it was just uh, it was something that I thought was incredible. And thought, we gotta sh- I thought, I've got to show you these houses. And so we did that, and, and it was truly incredible. And now they're, you know, north of three million for sale. And, and as you know, the housing market's gone up, and houses are even more expensive now, but they're still incredible houses. And, uh, and so we also I had an opportunity to go to Prague. And I don't know if you have been to Europe, maybe some of you have, and you've seen the architecture there. And uh, the Prague Castle, one of the greatest castles built in the 800s, around that time, the 9th century, um, probably it's one of the, it is the largest castle, um, ancient castle that we have in the world now. And I had a chance to just walk around the castle and walk inside and look, we couldn't go into any of the rooms because there was stuff going on, but just to look outside the building and to consider a a thousand more years ago how they constructed this magnificent castle. And then you go inside, you see the detail of everything and then you walk the streets and you see everything around you, and, and Europe is a beautiful spot. But you wouldn't look at those buildings and say, man, and, and give glory to those buildings. You would give it to the people that constructed it. And you would think, man, that's incredible. The person that is worthy of glory for building that is the person who built that house, who built that castle, not the castle itself. And that's the argument the Hebrew authors is making here. It's not the house that is glory. It's not the servant in the house. It's the house that was it was the builder of that house he's the one who deserves the glory and the honor for what he has done and what does he say about jesus jesus is the builder of god's house he's the one who's building it moses was a servant of god's physical people but jesus is the builder and he's the builder of god's spiritual house he's the chief cornerstone ephesians 2 for through him we both have access in one spirit he's talking to Jews and Gentiles so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the Saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the Apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit That's what God is doing right now in your life, in my life, through our lives, through the church. God is building a spiritual house, a spiritual dwelling place for God, for His Spirit to dwell. That's an incredible thing, and we're a part of that. But we don't deserve more glory than the one who's building it. And Moses was part of that house. He wasn't the builder of God's house. He was a part of it. He was a servant in it. And so Jesus was the one who created Israel. He's the one who created the church. He's the one who created by, th- by whom all things were created through, Jesus Christ. And so that's the way that God works in the world right now, in building His church, in building His spiritual house for His spirit to dwell. And so He's creating for Himself a house for his spirit to dwell in and everyone is invited. According to these verses, everyone is invited. Peter invited Gentiles in. So there was Jew and Gentile, male, female. Everybody is welcomed into God's house to be a part of it. Maybe we struggle with that at times. With the people that we don't get along with. And we wish we weren't a part of God's house. But what does that mean? If, if that's what God is doing, if He is building a spiritual house through us, through his and putting his spirit in us what does that mean for you and me that means for you what's beautiful with the pictures in the Bible of the body and the house is that if we take parts of the foundation of that house out then the integrity of that foundation is compromised and of that house is compromised right and what that tells us is that you and I we need each other we need the church you need to be here on Sunday morning you need to be in community with other believers throughout the week, regularly, and on Sunday morning, because without it, the foundation is weaker, just like the body, without the hand, without the foot, without the arm, is not functioning the way that it ought to be, or should be, or could be, and so we need each other. We don't need the spirit of individualism where I can do my faith and my Christianity on my own. I need one another. I need other people. I need to invite people in to my life, to have them be a part of my life. You need the church and the church needs you in all your imperfections, even with your terrible singing voice and your awful limp and your annoying personality, whatever. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying stuff that comes to my mind must be my imperfections. The church needs you. We, and you need the church. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and the builder of his house and everything centers around Jesus. And so in verse 6, we see then our final point about Jesus' faithfulness is that Jesus served in God's house as son. See, servants serve for a time, but the son lives in the house. He serves in the house forever. He remains forever. And the household that Jesus is faithful to is the household that he shed his own blood for. Jesus faithfully left his position, Philippians 2, His position of being with God, his power, being in the presence of God. He left that to come down to earth to be incarnate. He left heaven. He gave up his power and his knowledge to do God's will, the will of the Father. He faithfully resisted temptation through his life. He endured the mocking and the beating of those that hated him and didn't believe who he was. And he faithfully went to the cross and had nails put in his hands and his feet So that you and I could be forgiven and His blood shed for us. He faithfully did those things. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ was faithful to become a curse for us. Jesus wasn't just a servant among God's people. He was God's people's Savior. He was our Savior. And he saved God's people through his sacrifice. But Jesus was faithful because it's who he is. We read in our, in our liturgy this morning, 2 Timothy 2.13, I remind you of that. Faithfulness is what makes up God's essence, God's godness, if I can use that word. That's, that's who he is. That you can't be God without faithfulness. God wouldn't be God without that word, faithfulness. And that's what we read in 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's who God is. It's who Jesus is by extension of being God, faithful. God and Jesus are utterly reliable, dependable, faithful, loyal, promise keepers because of who they are. So then let's turn our eyes to the faithfulness of, our, of Christ followers as we consider the first verse and the final verse of our passage in Hebrews 3. The first thing I think we see is that we are to pursue holiness. Now these things come on the heels of what we've read about Jesus Christ and we'll get to that as we walk through these. But I wanna keep that in mind. That it's not that we do these things because we're required to and because these are gonna change our status as we're gonna read in verse six. But we do them because of what verse one says, therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling. We have a heavenly calling, you and I do. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are holy. And I know you don't think that when you think, consider your life. And if you're looking you know, around the room, you're thinking, yeah, right. But we know that because we've sung about that this morning. Our holiness and where it comes from. We're holy brethren. Not because of anything we've done. We didn't earn that title by our works of righteousness. Our holiness has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And it took a great price to pay for that. that to God, for God to regard us as holy and to see us as holy was a great price first Peter then says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy an Old Testament quote we ought to represent this heavenly calling that we have been called to in a manner that is worthy of that represent our Heavenly Father well and the calling that we have been called to well. And in in order to do that, we pursue holiness because that is who our Father, our God is. John 10.37 says, If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then don't believe me. That's what Jesus says to those that were opposing Him and did not believe in Him. He said, If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then don't believe me. A.K.A. I am. The things that I'm doing, the miracles that I'm performing, the things that I'm saying are all from God the Father and are all of God the Father. And so, what we read then is that faithfulness, holiness, are requirements for those who are called and sent by God. And we know that God calls us holy and sees us as holy, and yet we participate in that by the power of His Holy Spirit to be holy and to be faithful people to our God and to the One who has called us and sacrificed so much for us. So how do we do that? How do we pursue faithfulness and holiness? The second thing we see in verse 1 is that we need to focus on Christ. We ought to focus on Christ. That's how we do it. Consider Jesus, the Hebrew author says. Consider Jesus. I think that word kind of falls flat when we read it in English. Like consider like as in like there's all these options and you just pick. And he's saying like what about have you thought about Jesus? And I don't think that's kind of what the word is or what it means and when we think of that word and read that word I don't want you to think of it that way not like Jesus is one option what have you thought about him before and have you thought about what he's done but consider Jesus we're a called out people and we've been invited to consider him to become closely connected to the one who's called us and so to consider it means to considerly, sorry continually consider perpetually always consider Think about this word consider implies your attention, taking your attention, continuous observation, put your minds on Jesus Christ, focus on Jesus Christ, and then leave them there. That's what he means when he says, consider, think on the incarnate son of Jesus. What does it mean for him to be our apostle, to be the sent one, to be our great high priest? What does it mean for him to be that, to be our mediator? And apply your mind to that, and apply your life to those truths. What do those things mean? And so how do I do that? How do I focus on Christ and consider Him? And it starts with our desire. It starts with our desire to do it. And maybe for some of us, it's asking the Lord to help us, and to give us that desire to continually do that. To utilize the power that we've been given of concentration and discipline to do it to look to jesus to gaze on him with all our heart philippians 3 paul says this indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord that i may know him in the power of his resurrection and might may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death i count everything as lost to know jesus christ so we concentrate on Christ and concentrating on Christ requires an act of the will it requires you to decide to do that just like discipline produces results just like if I want to engage if I want to grow any muscle in my body I need to engage that muscle right I need to work on that muscle and that's such a simple thing to understand and yet it can be a challenge to apply it to our lives spiritually but we know that reality in our lives That anything that is worth having when it comes to our physical disciplines, uh, it takes work. And it takes focus and concentration. So we don't look to rituals. We don't look to problems and persecutions. We focus on Christ. Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything. And then we see our third point is through in verse 6 that we hold on to Christ. The author of Hebrews encourages the believers here to hold on to Christ to focus on him in verse one and then to hold on to him in verse six it says "And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope do you think the author is trying to cast doubt on the believers here to the certainty of their salvation it might sound like it as we read that verse the verse is not saying that if you hang on to the end you'll be saved that's not what that means Because you can't save yourself and you can't keep yourself saved there's two things that was jesus christ and so we don't enter god's kingdom by faith and then keep ourselves in god's kingdom by our works done in righteousness we know that we've sung about that our salvation is guaranteed jesus has never lost one of his sheep and so i think what the author is saying in verse six instead is that the continuous in the christian life to be continuing on in the Christian life, holding on to Christ is the real test of faith and the proof of the reality of real faith. That holding on, that continuing on in the Christian faith for the one that fell away, they never belonged in the first place. And so storms in life are going to come. We know that's guaranteed. We know storms are going to come. We know what it's like to live in a world of sin, where people make selfish choices and they don't consider other people, where we make selfish choices and we don't consider others, and people have to live with the effects of that. And then, the, and then human nature, which is groaning and longing for redemption. Storms will come. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hold on to Christ, focus on Christ. And so the Holy Spirit asks us, as we consider this passage, are we persevering? What are the tides of life doing in your life? Are they causing you to drift away? Whether it's family, family issues, whether it's business, whether it's work, whether it's whatever it is considering temptations, heartache, pain, suffering. What are the storms of life bringing in your life and are they causing you to drift away from God to loosen that grip on Christ and that focus on Christ? I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through these verses this morning. Jesus is all that you need. He's sufficient for all of those things. His righteousness belongs to you this morning. If you place your faith in Him, His righteousness belongs to you. You are holy, a holy brethren. And so as we consider that, is Christ as dear to us as the day when we first met Him? Maybe even more dear. To you now than he was before because holding on to anything but christ in this world is going to keep you from being faithful to jesus christ and to god and to your calling holding on to anything else but christ the final thing we see then is that we are in second corinthians chapter 5 i want to take us there we ought to walk by faith and not by sight second corinthians says in verse 5 Or chapter 5 of verse 6, it says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is what the Old Testament believers in God had to do. To walk by faith. I mean, they had the miracles, certainly, and they had these things. And God worked in miraculous ways. But their faith was in the promise of a Redeemer coming to sacrifice His life for them. There are things in your life that God is going to bring that he doesn't explain to you. And you're going to struggle with that because you want to know why God, why this, why that. And God's going to require of you to walk by faith in him and what he's done for you and who he is and to walk by faith and not knowing those things. And that's okay because that's what faithful followers of Christ have had to do for millennia. Faithfulness is trusting God, not the world. Trusting that He is working out all things for your good and for His glory. That your eternal reward is greater than anything that you have now and can pursue now. The eternal reward is greater. And the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is the one who makes you faithful because faithfulness is a fruit of, that Spirit living in, of God's Spirit living in your life. So Hebrews 3, verse 1, let's consider this as we close. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the Apostle and the High Priest of our confession. Pursue faithfulness because you've been called holy. Considering the sacrifice that has been made for you, for God to be able to say that of you. It's my prayer that it's one of our greatest desires to, when we get to heaven, for God to say of us, well done, good and faithful servant not because of all the great things that I've done for Jesus on this earth, but because I've been faithful to the one who called me, the one who gave up his life for me, who died and hung on the cross for me so that I could have eternal life. Well done, good and faithful servant to the one who is faithful to the one who has called us. Let us pray as we close this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage in Hebrews. We thank you, God, for Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness. And God, as we consider you and who you are and your faithfulness to us, God, as a people who are continually unfaithful, we confess that to you, God, that it is easy to loosen our grip on you, to drift from you and to consider other things. The world is constantly tempting, tempting to our flesh. Tempting to the desires that we have, God, and we oftentimes uh, give in to those things. And God, I pray that you would help us to consider Jesus this morning, to focus on Christ, to hold on to Christ, to consider what he has done, to consider the great apostle, the sent one by God, the high priest who lived perfectly for us and died a perfect sacrifice on our behalf, paying the penalty of our sin and taking on God's full wrath so that we could be called holy and righteous in your sight. God, it's a great thing. And we thank you for it this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.